This is the final test run. I'm in my truck. I'm rolling right now, and I want to see if these headphones can actually work. So give me a second. Once I get the volume on, then we get this game time. Well, I think I got it to work. So we'll see how it goes. Like I said, first of all, you hear any background noise? I got the windows cracked in the truck. Yes, I meant truck, big truck. So I don't burn up to death. Cause I got about a three hour drive. I said, you know what? Why not get out here and start talking? Cause I have something on my mind. Well, first thing, welcome to the bottom of my pit. I keep making references to this thing called the pit and everything. And it's kind of when the loneliness and depression kind of makes you sink in on yourself. So, well, here we are. Of all places, the bottom of the pit. And boy, it's been, pardon my French, but it's been shitty. So first things first, I'm back in the truck. I know as I said last time, I said, you know what? I was done with trucking. Mentally and physically, I could not do it. And I said, you know what? I needed a couple months to get my act together, get into this new career, and go forward. And kind of say, listen, I go back to trucking. I kind of revisited kind of an owner-operator mode. I buy my own truck. I kind of ride around every now and then just to kind of keep the gears fresh. Because like I said, there's always going to be a part of me that loves trucking. Like, it's just me. There's a part of me that's going to always hate trucking. The parts where the industry is just ransacked by villains and barbarous pirates and assholes who think that truck drivers are dumb and are there to be taken advantage of. It's just full of those kind of people. They're people who, by the way, never drive a truck. And unfortunately, the people that do drive a truck that get into positions of authority, they do that old thing where they, quote, quote, forget where they came from. And then they start becoming the corporate monster that they used to detest. So, let me make outbursts while I'm riding right now. So, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, I'm not in Raleigh, North Carolina. I used to ride in a flatbed, a beautiful flatbed. I used to ride only in South Carolina. Why well, not in Raleigh? Headed back to Columbia. So, I got a lot. Oh, my God. There's school buses everywhere. What the hell are these people doing in the city? City people are weird. I don't get them. I don't get anything about them. They're just bizarre creatures. But... I was studying and I was taking a couple months off. A lot of stuff happened. Like my, like I said, my family got sick, and here we go. The foolishness, stupid. Don't come cut in front of me. I think truck, you moron. I'm sorry. Hey, truck in the podcast. You getting a live feel? <laughs> These people are stupid. So, family got sick. I took a couple weeks off. Some unforeseen bills from some people. Some unforeseen charges had to be paid, which depleted my. Pretty good size financial account, even more. Wink, wink. And then I just started getting antsy. I was like, I'm sitting here at home. Things aren't the greatest. Like I told you one time, I sat there and I, I went into the, um, my wife had left for something and I got up to go get something out the kitchen. I was studying and I was really putting in some good time with Professor Messer, really getting my A-plus knowledge down pat. And I get up one morning and I leave the room to go to the kitchen and I see these black eyes staring at me on the couch. It's the dog. And I'm like, the hell is this? It's just sitting outside his cage on the couch looking at me. Talk about triggered. I, don't, I know I don't like the word triggered. I'm going for it. I was triggered. I was fit to be tied. And I felt this violent urge of energy. I said, I called my wife on the phone. And I said, you need to come back and get this dog. She started arguing with me. I hung the phone up. I'm like, I'm not about that shit right now. Not the time to play with me right now. And she, I think she hoped she knew it. Because it wasn't the time. Because if she had come home on some arguing shit, I'd have absolutely fucking threw her out a window. 
That's not how I felt. I was not. I was hot. I was like, there's dogs out the window in, in my house. But we're going to get into that a little more today. Fine. It was funny. I went back in the room, loaded my AK up, had my machete out. So that dog comes in the room. Guess what? It's time to go. So I did last time. That's how the dog understood that I wasn't a problem. I let it out and sat there and looked at it. I hate that dog still. But, like I said, back in trucking. So I'm back at this job, and I looked at it, and this job showed up and said, Oh, listen, we pay by the hour. Now, one thing is, when somebody gets on TV or radio or anybody and talks about a truck driver shortage, you can rest assured this one thing, and you can take this to the bank and cash it. It's probably worth more than a dollar right now. They don't know what they're talking about with trucking. They know nothing about trucking. I'm sorry if I'm yelling, but they know nothing about what they speak. There is no shortage of truck drivers in America. Got it? All the supply chain panic stuff and all, blah, 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 blah. No, no. There is a shortage of good companies <laughs> that are tasked with moving the supply chain. That's one thing. You go, what does that even mean? It means that a lot of these drivers, you go out in a lot of other businesses and say, hey, did you used to drive a truck? And guys are like, yeah, I used to drive a truck. Why'd you get out? Didn't pay enough. Why'd you get out? I was gone too long. Why'd you get out? Company lied on me, treated me like crap. Why'd you get out? They left me out on the road for three weeks at a time. Why'd you get out? Blah, 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 blah. You start to see this sort of tale told over and over and over and over again. People do not want to give all of their time in their life and energy and then, for giving that, get poorly compensated. It absolutely kicks you in the balls to do that. It sucks. It takes the life out of you. It makes the job not fun. You don't like the job because guess what? Now you're beholden to this company that's making all this money because basically being a trucking business, if you want to start a trucking company, here's the business model you need to operate. Make as much money as you can and pay your drivers as little as you possibly can. Try to skim them off. I'll give you an example for those of you not going know about trucking. I'm on that trucking stuff. I'm in a truck right now. I'm going to talk about it. Okay, so you see when they say the back of these trucks, listen, we're drivers. We're hiring serial drivers, blah, 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 blah. And guess what? You get a sign-on bonus. Oh, you think, well, that's cool. So if I sign this line and get hired, I get this such and such amount, thousands of dollars. Oh, no, 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 no. Not in trucking, you don't. What happens is they put that money to the side and they give it to you in increments. But what they want to do is use the lure of this cash, this $10,000 that you magically own, to keep you there so you have to stay there and work for this company and make eh, wages to get that little bitty bonus sometimes it comes out as a safety bonus sometimes they give it but they, they don't have to give it to you up front that lebron james now last time i checked lebron james was not an essential worker that's what i was told i don't know all the people on tv i don't watch tv i don't know i assume it was that's what the people are being fed out the hamster spigot and he signs a sign-on bonus, and if they give him a $2 million sign-on bonus, he gets that money right up front for signing on. See, trucking, they can get away with lying like that because they think truck drivers are retarded. That's the, that's the dark truth about trucking. There is a civil war in trucking between companies and drivers. There's companies which are staffed by people largely who are college-educated, mid-manager types who have never done the work 
But they do their work well in that they know how to manage. They don't know how to drive. They don't know how to resolve issues. They don't know how to deal with the fact that this job is incredibly dangerous and the workforce that they employ are dangerously underpaid. They have no idea. They're always flat-footed. That's why they cannot keep drivers at these companies. They cannot. I speak highly of a few good companies. McElroy Truck Lines, give me right. I speak highly of them. Anywhere I go, McElroy Truck Lines out of Cuba, Alabama. Even the last company. Dispatcher lied on me a lot, but guess what? Willie Benson trucking? I like Willie Benson. That was a cool company to work for. That was a good guy in a small company trying to make it in this world of these. They're trying to do everything they're doing with the banks. Swallowing up the small companies. So, when people say there's a shortage of truck drivers, no. There's actually people who wake up and go, why am I doing this? This is dumb. And on top of that, you know, these college-educated people have somehow decided that, listen, a slower truck is a safer truck. We have to slow these trucks down to make them safer. A slow truck is a sitting duck. I'm out here in this traffic in Raleigh. God almighty, these people. I'm coming over, fool. Don't try to bum-rush me, idiot. Hold on a second, I'm trying to get these fools out the way. I got people just hanging on my blind spot. Another thing cars do, they hang in the blind spot. Don't hang on the blind spot of a truck. Don't just sit there and chill. That drives the truck driver crazy. Because if I got to move out of the way for something, guess what? I ain't got time to be sitting there. Where, why is this car sitting there and everything? So back to my point and everything. The truck companies, they basically beat up on their workforce. And they turn around and they do this, oh, you're virtual. Truck drivers, there were no truck drivers, we couldn't get anything. It's, as Americans are very good at that. We say things we don't necessarily believe, you know? It's like, oh, listen, the truck drivers were here, we wouldn't have anything. It's like, you don't believe it because you demand they get paid better. Well, they don't. Who cares? The stuff comes in Walmart free, the stuff goes at your lows. It got there somehow. Somebody had to be out for weeks at a time in the rain, tarping it. Who cares? They don't get paid that much. They pay them by the mile. But anyway, fast cut over to me. I'm with this company now. And so now I'm working getting paid by the hour, which is just fantastic. I, I can't believe I did eight years of my life getting paid by the load or by the mile. It's absolutely obscene. Why? Every job, there's so much more possibilities to life when you're paid by the hour. One, your time means something. I'm out here sitting here running around for 11 hours and I get paid a good amount of money for it. And I'm like, but anyway, I'm gonna go on a trucking rant later. Cause you know what? Like I said, the bottom of the pit, last weekend, was bad. I got off of work. I like going to work. Going home. Eh, certain areas of home. Others, not so much. I'm not doing the caveat thing anymore. Listen, I'm not here to do shots. Blah, 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 blah. I'm here to talk facts. And it's basically for me. Because this this would be, if I survive, and you'll know why I say that, I want to look back and document this and see what I was actually thinking and feeling and how I was coping with it. So, I did a lot of deep thinking, because you know what, I've been kind of throwing smoke at people, and you know what, I did it rightfully so, because they had it coming. Not that I was looking to do it, but I'm just actually speaking about what was going on in my life. So I have all these instances and issues and problematic relationships, and all these things that are poisonous in my life, and you know what, I said, earlier I did an episode of What's Wrong With You, and I kind of addressed my kind of foibles, kind of, but I really didn't get into it. And that's weird for me. And I was like, I was thinking, I said, at a certain point, if all these things in my life, if I keep end up alone, if I keep end up in these, not toxic, that's such an overused word, let's use poisonous relationships, what is it that I'm doing? Not to invite it, but maybe encouraging it. 
this road construction is blasphemously bad. I, I just, I'm sorry. I, ugh, just, I'm sorry. I, these fools in their construction, just endless construction. They never fix anything. When's it fixed? For God's sakes, these people are saying chill. It was a whole cool guy standing around. Nothing done. Waving at him, like, what the hell y'all doing? But, at some point I had to kind of do a deeper dive, and comfortable dive. What's wrong with me? Not a part two, but this is an expanded version. Because I was thinking, you know what? It's a very easy thing to sit there and say everybody else is the bad guy. That's an inclination. And then when it comes time to critique yourself, it's very easy to say something like, passe, like, well, my problem is I care too much, or I love too much. It's like, of course, make yourself a good guy. Sure. What's really wrong with me? What's, what am I doing? Because I, I have some thoughts about myself. Because I'm starting to feel, because first of all, I go into a new church. That is so awkward. Being lonely for so long has made it damn near impossible to get used to being around people. It's like, I'm just, I can feel my energy is off. And I'm going to feed into this because I feel like preemptively people don't like me. And I don't say that I blame them. Something about me puts people off. And I've been through my life and everything. And I've talked and I haven't really talked about it that much in depth. Or at, to this extent. So, you know, you have your normal life. You're a kid. You go to school. You have your friends. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's basically normal. There's no part of my life at that stage that's abnormal per se. Everything is there. I got my friends at school. We hang out, blah, blah, blah. There's girls, there's guys. We all grow up together. And then something interesting happens. The school I go to at sixth grade decided to, for the sixth graders, go to something kind of newfangled where they would have one teacher and she would put in a videotape and they would have show a video of some lady teaching some other kids. So we would do our classes that way. So the teacher wasn't really in the classroom all the time. Sometimes she was, other times she wasn't. So, needless to say, I was in sixth grade, so you're starting to go into puberty. You're starting to get a little older. You're rebellious. What are you doing? Are you paying attention like you did for the first five years? Because I was a very good student. Still am a very good student. I like to learn. And I can apply myself that way. So my grades started to slip, and my dad had a falling out with the principal. And all of a sudden, we switched churches and switched schools. We went to a church school. So it's already kind of a very, very delicate thing. It ain't like it's, it's just in your town. This is like your town and your entire social life. Your church people and your school peoples. They all kind of one and the same. There's a few outliers. So, at sixth grade, after sixth grade, family just up and left. Up and left school, went to homeschool, and up and left church. Whew. I think about it now, I said, damn, that is infinitely like the nexus point for where my life begins, where this sort of weird energy starts to kick in. My parents did it for the right reason, you know? I was a very good student. In homeschool, I was homeschooled for four years, sixth grade until tenth grade. I came into high school, I almost sat there and was like stunned at how these kids were struggling. I'm like, dude, this isn't that hard. But I enjoyed the social interaction, but the same time we switched churches. We went from mainly an all-white church. We were one of the few black families. One could say token, but my dad had a teen group where he got all the kids from the hood because he was from the hood. So he was like, those kids were just like our family. So and it was always like, oh, these kids. 
And my dad was like, play ball with them and do all kind of stuff. And he, he was very close with them. So we moved to this new, went to this new church. I remember the strangest sensation. Going there for Sunday school, I had this mean look on my face. I did it intentionally. I did not want anybody near. I didn't know anybody. I just remember being distinctly uncomfortable. And I, I, so I always felt it when kids would come into my Sunday school class who were new. I could feel their discomfort. For me, I could not help it. I remember one kid saying, man, he looks mean. And I had this mean look on my face. And I was in Sunday school with those kids. I didn't know who they were. And it was just uncomfortable. And then, I went into service. Remember, I said I'm hitting puberty. There was this girl there. And I saw her. I'll never forget it as long as I live. She was the prettiest girl I'd ever seen. And I looked at her. I remember looking over my right shoulder. She was kind of behind me to the right. Because it was a, it was a um, auditorium, a sanctuary, where it was divided into three. So it was kind of almost like a semicircle, a third of a circle. So there's one section to the right and to the left. And it's kind of all circular. And then this middle section, the biggest one. And this girl was looking back at me. And she looked back at me. And I looked away. A couple minutes later, I looked back at her. She was back at me. This went on the whole service. I was bewitched, <laughs> to say the least. I said, I don't know what love is at 12, but I'm pretty sure I've discovered it. I said, oh my God, this is, I'll never forget it. It's electric. I just kept looking back. We kept looking at each other. And I thought, oh, what would it have been like? Say I was still in my social group of friends at that time, because at this time I'm homeschooled. Where I go, yo, I love this girl. Talk to her, Reed. Go do this, man. Go say hi to her. Go see what's what. You know, something cool like that. No, I didn't have it. I just sat there and sat on it. I never did anything about that with that girl. It was kind of weird because she really resonated with me. Like, I had never felt this way about a female in my life. And it was just like the response, that initial response. But the kids in the church didn't like me. And I... Don't say that I blame them. I didn't have any friends. Like, I went there for six years and did not have a single bleeping friend at all. I remember the second Sunday I went there, I was in Sunday school, and one of the kids, he was a twin of another boy, and he reaches up, and I'm sitting there and slaps me in the back of the head. This is key. And I kind of turn around with my fist ball, but I didn't know what to do. I was kind of like, why do you do that? They kicked him out of class, and the other guys were laughing like it was funny. But I didn't know what that was about. And that to me was always a weird, puzzling thing. And I'm thinking, is something wrong with me? Is something innately wrong with me? That this kid who doesn't know me from Adam, has never seen him before in his life, he reaches up and slaps me, like, hard on the back of the head. Like, he wants trouble. I've never given an indication I want trouble. I remember sitting across with those boys at church wanting to be accepted by them, not being accepted by them. I apologize for throwing in a dip real quick, get that little buzz going. But I just distinctly remember that going, what is happening in my life right now? It felt weird. It felt like I was an alien in my own life. I went to church that Sunday. I did not go to youth church with the other kids. I stayed behind, and I, but I did. I had this normal reaction to being rejected by people. I just got into things. 
I just got into stuff. So what did I do while I was in high school at this church where I wasn't friends with any of the kids? I, you know, I got into doing the microphones. I learned how to do audiovisual equipment. I learned that whole craft and how to record stuff and do all this stuff. And it was funny because this whole time my dad was very popular with teens. My dad was uber popular. Like, I was the polar opposite. They could see my dad and go, this is he, this is he. And then they see me, they wouldn't say a damn thing. Talk about feeling like you're dead in your own fucking life. I felt dead during high school. Up until I went to high school, I had friends then. And, you know, even then, I was aware that I was an outsider. It kind of kept me at bay. And so I just remember that. And I just that feeling. And I didn't go to prom with any girls. I did go to, I, I did actually go to dance. And I kind of got my confidence up with girls then. But I realized something is off, something's wrong with me. Innately. And I always felt that. I always felt like I have this sort of aura. That gives off a poisonous aura, so people have a visceral reaction. So, after high school, I went away to the Air Force Academy. I went to the prep school for a year. This was another instance. Got along great with the kids in my squadron. The cadets in my squadron. Got along with B-Squad. Great. Had no enemies in B-Squad. I roomed with one of the basketball players. I roomed with a former airman. You know, I got along great with everybody. There was this one guy, though, in Alpha Squad. Because we all went to classes together. There were three squadrons, and, you know, there was Alpha Squad, Bravo, and Charlie. So it was basically for young people to get, for basically for people going to the Air Force Academy to get their academics squared away. Or for football players to get that extra year eligibility to kind of work on some stuff. This guy was a middle linebacker. His name was Cornbread. Cornbread, they called him. He was big, light-skinned black guy. He was country. And he was big. And he didn't like me. It was the weirdest thing I've ever understood. Weirdest thing I've ever experienced. I'm like, talk about somebody I've never spoken to. Never so much as did a damn thing to. And he, and I know he didn't like me. Because one day I heard in class, I heard him talking to a running back named Wilson going, I don't like that seal. Or I don't like that kid for Nukins. He didn't like me. He always looked at me funny. He did not like me. And it made me honestly afraid. I'm like, he's so much bigger than me. Like, I can't do anything. It was a kind of a tell for me in my life at 18. I was like, what do you do? You don't have the ability to take this guy on. He's basically the dominant. He's the alpha male of that school. You're not going to bump with him. So what are you going to do about it? You kind of avoid him and kind of sit there and bent it all up. And that's where... And I was kind of working out at that time. Not really. And I was, you know, getting my grades and, you know, working. And then I had an interesting experience. Boxing. The first time I ever boxed. Boxing's a fascinating sport. It's, it's, I think it's a sport that all young men should go through. Not to see if you're any good or not. To see what you're made of. And to kind of discipline yourself. To push on adversity because you watch boxing on TV it looks so easy you just throw your hands you move around a little bit you throw this punch and do those big big punch and knock the guy out I mean the Rocky movies really have done a great disservice to the sport I mean it's fun movies I love them but it's a lot more difficult because that time you get in the ring with those gloves you get in the bag it feels like okay yeah you feel like you're a world beater try doing that on a live human that's coming over to hit you 
That's unnerving on a whole nother level. So the first time I ever boxed, I was boxing against this guy named Lee Thompson. And he came at me, and we started doing what, you know, most young people who with no formal training do. What do you do in boxing? You wing away as hard as you can to hopefully to knock the person out. It's fear driving you. And it's this desire to overcome this person who's coming at you. And he got the better of me in a lot of those exchanges. I seemed like I was afraid. I'd back up and I would kind of back up and get hit and kind of throw wildly. And one of my squad mates said, Sears, stop being afraid. And I don't know what happened. And I kind of sat there and he kind of came forward and I kind of did my signature move, which is to knock down the jab. His face was open and I drove a straight right into his face. Bam! He stood there stunned. I stunned him. I ended it after that. I was just doing rounds and everything, you know, just to kind of get experience. But for me, that was life-changing. It was this sort of idea that not only could I survive getting attacked, I could hit back. Because that was the key for me. That was like, that made sense to me. Boxing made sense in that regard. I wish I had done it more. I did do it in the army some. But... It was this idea that you can be knocked back on your heel. So I back to this cornbread guy. It was funny because I went to the academy, had friends. I wasn't the best cadet. I admit that. And I think about it, all those people that did not like me there, I don't say that I blame them. I can be a bit grating. I can be a bit annoying. I can be a bit over the top. And I could probably say that if I wasn't me, I probably wouldn't like me that much. I'd find me funny at times, and other times I'd be like, you gotta stop, dude, you're too much. That comes from that sustained period of my life where I'm kind of used to being the outsider. Because even as a cadet, I was on double probation. I wasn't one of the good cadets. I mean, I'd make a joke about it and laugh about it like it was funny, but it really wasn't funny because... I was pissing down a world-class education down the toilet. I was losing motivation. I met a girl at a dance. And a debutante dance there. Our freshman year at the academy. And I remember going there. They told us that they said, oh, hey, but you guys, you're going to go to this debutante dance. And you're going to meet girls. And you're going to dance. And it was like a formal debutante thing at the academy. So we're like, oh. Because... Freshman cadets at the academy don't get a lot of liberty. They don't get to go out a lot. So guess what? You can meet a girl, you know? Hey, whatever. What's the worst that can happen, right? So I go there, and and I'm just sitting there, around there. At the night of the dance, there's too many guys, not enough girls. Huh. Story of the Air Force Academy. Story of any military academy. Too many guys, not enough girls. Just the nature of it. It's a girl's paradise, basically. If you're looking to find a boyfriend, that's where you go. And so we're standing around, I'm hanging out with friends, and then this girl, she wasn't hot, I'll say that, she was pretty though, she had glasses, and she was nice, and I met her, because her date had kind of ditched her, which was kind of weird, I'm like, what's up with you? And so, we started dancing, because it was kind kind of a weird pairing. But, lo and behold, I had a time of my life. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. 
It was wonderful. I remember the songs we danced to. We had fun. We laughed. It was literally like this life-giving experience in this kind of the doldrums of my academy life. Keep in mind with friends, but having this girl, it felt good. It felt like I, just, I had made this new relationship. And of course, like a, like a dumbass, I get out of the dance and my friends go, what was her name? I said, I don't remember her name. I didn't get her email and her number. Uh, I was so hurt. And so a month later, <laughs> I got an email from this girl. Her name. And I was so happy. I couldn't have been happier. And so, like I said, and so I did my time at the academy, and actually she was the reason I ended up leaving the academy. Because I was going to see her before she went to college, because we kept in contact, we talked, I actually met her family for Thanksgiving. We liked each other. She was a nice girl. I liked her a lot. And so there was a whole thing where the, our class year got restricted on that weekend. I couldn't go out, but I had a pass, and all this stuff went down. It's a really convoluted story. One day I'll get into the details. Maybe have already. But I remember just at that moment, I couldn't see her before she went to college. I said, okay, fine. And I was hurt by that. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out of here. And I realized in my life, I don't like things. Guess what? I can bail. I can bail like nobody's business. Not doing it. Not playing ball. I'm taking my ball and going home. And it kind of hurt me because I never saw her again. And she's really nice. But that's how things end in my life. I never, there's no point in my life where I've ever told a person, I'm breaking up with you. It always just, they fade away. My friendships fade away. My relationships fade away. There's no ever point where I've gone, hey, we got to end this because I'm, you know, because of my scarcity, I tend to be overly loyal, which makes me overly needy, which makes people not like me. That's part of what's wrong with me is I, I, I put too much value in these and everything. It's not to make myself some sort of hero. No, it doesn't make me a hero at all. It means I overdo it. And so I'm not equipped to deal with its eventual fading away because I haven't made room for other relationships. I tend to stunt myself. And I spent those years stunted. I came back to South Carolina. My family had joined a new church. And this is one of those times where I, sh I wish I had known what I knew now. Because right off the jump, I would have said, listen, you got to end these relationships. Some of these relationships, don't let them take fruition. There's problems. For instance, the church. They paid me pittance. I used to travel with the choirs. I was a classically trained pianist. I could play by ear. I was a being to them. They were desperately looking for a pianist, a skilled pianist. And I, was, I would play for them. I would go to choir rehearsals. I was working two jobs, going to college, and doing that. And hang on a second. I'm on 95 right now, and RV is smoking. Boy, I got black smoke coming out of there. That is no bueno. Eh. Oh, but when, when did you decide to get over it, day cab? No, bobtail truck just pulls in front of me. Woo, they're smoking. How about you get past them today? So we don't have to all get burnt up in this, whatever that is. Yep, 95, full of elderly people riding around in RVs. They are everywhere out here. It is insane. World's going to hell in a handbasket, and these folks is getting their vacation on. God bless them. We blow past this bobtail. It's Peterbilt. So, I came back to this church, 
And I just remember distinctly going, they're not treating me right. And at this time, when I came back to South Carolina, I didn't have any friends. I knew my wife, well, she was a friend at the time, and some other people at church. Not really my type of crowd, though. There were no dudes to hang out with. All the dudes were like, just something was off. And I was like, I was lacking that friendship, lacking that guy camaraderie. I, I didn't have it in my life, and I'm just sitting there going to school. I mean, I had people I talked to in class, but I really had, I went to USC. I, I, I left USC with no close friends. That's weird. By this stage, I was just done. I've been playing for this church for years. I get run into the ground and this and that. And I went to the army. And I showed the army, we did all this stuff and everything. But back to my thing. I met a lot of those friends. A lot of those friends would eventually, they would move on with their lives. They knew how to move on with their lives. They knew how to have a friendship, let it run its course, and it goes away. Me, I didn't know how. Something about me disabled me and able to keep these long-term friendships. Something about me is poisonous. Something about me is inherently unlikable. Because it's funny now, I go to this new church, I go to the world, new members class and everything, and I can feel the dislike. I feel disliked by everybody. I feel like I'm annoying to everybody. Even my family to some extent. I feel like I'm annoying everybody. So last Saturday, like I said, the bottom of this pit thinking, this is what's wrong with me. I don't Something's just off of me. Something's inherently wrong. Something is wired wrong. Because relationships I should get rid of, I don't. And relationships I should keep, I can't. I have no ability. So I basically, I'm stuck in this rut. And it hit me on Saturday. I just, the depression just welled up. And I just sat there and I was thinking, you know what? Bottom of the pit. I'm going to leave this evening, I'm going to drive away from my home, and I'm going to kill myself. Like, I was no shit feeling that way. But it was such a heavy feeling. I said, I can't do this. I can't be like this. I can't live in this stupid-ass suburb for 30 years in this fucking failed relationship. I can't do it. I can't do it, won't do it. Because I'm, I'm doing it to myself. No one's doing it to me. I'm doing it to myself. Because it's simple. Like I said, if I wasn't religious, if I didn't honor my vows, shit, I, so many people get offloaded with me funny. I, I'd start afresh, somewhere new. I would start new and go, listen, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, I'm only going to let you in this much. But I can't. There's a lot of people I'd like to just offload from my life. So frankly speaking, I can't take it. So I drove, and the weird thing was... I was so tired because I've been working in the yard all day, just burning pine straw and debris. But I literally just was so tired. I, I was like, I don't want to kill myself. But I felt it when I left. I'm like, I'm never coming back. I'm never. I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn if anybody finds me because at the same time, I feel like, who would care? Like, who would give a damn? Everybody's out doing their thing, living their life. My 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 purpose in life is to pay for everybody's good time. I pay for your good time, and guess what? I get shit on. And that creates that kind of dangerous health crisis for me where I'm stuck between this depression and this bull, this billowing resentment that's just gonna wait. That's starting to just go crazy in my head going like, hurt yourself or hurt somebody 
blow this thing up, burn it down, and be done with it already. Like I said, I'm going to go into a little more later. I might even do another episode today. I don't know. I'm feeling it today. Like I said, I just got tired. I, I've been running all morning. Your speed is what? Hi, camera. They got speed cameras on 95. Endless construction of speed cameras. What a world. So that's where I'm at right now. Like I said, I might sound like a little bit energetic, a little bit chipper. Not really. Like I said, the few things that are keeping me on are weightlifting, my garden, learning Linux. I'm going to my old stomping grounds. I'm getting into something new. That's how I cope with the loneliness. I just take myself and I find something new and I throw myself into it and enjoy the journey and the experience and I come out better. When I was in high school, I didn't have any friends. I learned to play by ear. I spent hours in my room with a keyboard, with a cassette recorder, playing oldies songs and playing them, following along, learning how to pick up chords, learning how to pick up keys. I feel playing solo. I remember going to my church that Sunday. Nobody cared. I had sunglasses on. I felt like the coolest person in the world because I soloed in an airplane at 16. I'll never forget that. That's one of my top three highlights of my life, easily. And so, like I said, now, in the middle of this hole, I have to find things to get into because before I moved back in, I was so energetic, so full of life because I found these things to get into, like Arabic. I loved it. I haven't done Arabic in months. I hate that. I'm getting into Linux, but I'm going to go back to Arabic. I can still say a few phrases. I can still read it a little bit, but I'm like, I need that part back in my life because... Frankly speaking, I don't like me that much. And I don't see anybody else liking me that much. People kind of tolerate me, and that's about it. Maybe because I have money. Maybe because I have qualifications that they could use. That's what my church did. They tolerated me. They couldn't give a shit less about me. Always sending messages to my wife telling me hi. I'm like, you can tell her to tell me, but you can never tell me yourself. I don't need to hear from her. She my secretary. My no damn sight. Tell me myself. So, I don't much like me. Nobody else much does. So I have to just deal with it right now. You got the job right now. I'm not trying to get too close to anybody. I just keep it moving. Learning new things. Maybe get this computer thing. Maybe one day buy a truck. See where it takes me. Like I said, I'm on 95 right now. I am absolutely 100% and boogie toward Fayetteville, then toward Florence, then all the way to Columbia. Lord, it's been a long ride. So that's where I'm at right now. I kind of can see what's really wrong with me, and I can see why people wouldn't like me, why my relationships would fail. And I'm going to go into it next time. I'm going to talk about it because I have to do something about it. I could change how I am, which I won't do. I'll admit that straight up front. I'm not changing how I am. I am who I am. It's a known quantity. It's the most comfortable thing about me, is I know who I am and I know what I am. And there's a Peterbilt next to me. Hear that Jake break? Oh, he's, he's bellowing. We got ourselves in a nice left lane battle right now. He's got him a load on him, so. Oh my god. Stuff flying on the highway. So, that's where I'm at right now. 
I might go to like the next part in a few minutes, catch my breath. Because I realize I'm not changing who I am. I gotta change my circumstances. That's it. That's all I'm gonna do. By hook or by crook. I gotta burn it all down. Gotta be willing to do that. Gotta be willing to bet on myself and go, you know what? I don't much like myself. People don't much like me. I can at least give myself some space so I can at least enjoy the few things in life that give me joy and not have this shit hanging over me like a storm cloud pushing me further into the pit. Appreciate you listening. I wish you the best. Take care of yourself. Catch you next time.